Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Miss the show? No worries. We've got you covered on point and on the podcast. We speak to an emergency doctor who's questioning lockdown measures and points out that the widespread damage these measures are doing to people is showing that the cure is worse than the disease. Are your religious freedoms being infringed on by these lockdown measures? We'll talk about a court case right now before a judge that could decide if that is the case. And hopefully some good news about our friend Carrot the Deer, whose head was impaled by an arrow. How's Carrot doing now? Let's get talking. What's your point? You just don't ever get the point. Am I getting through to you? That's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Are you listening? As for the lockdowns in in the areas that are locked down right now that are expiring on Monday, I can tell you they won't be expiring. We're going to continue on with uh, the, the lockdowns within those regions and we'll have additional information on Monday for the, the balance of the, the province. Good times, yet there's no data to support that shutting down schools or small businesses is the problem. So I would like to see some policies that actually start going after the real culprits. Alex Pearson with you on this Friday, December 18th. I think a lot of you are uh, finishing up for the year, hopefully getting some time to relax. Certainly the kids got out today. Oh, they're so excited. Uh, We didn't get a lot of full details, which we thought were going to come today about what is um, going to be happening as far as restrictions. We do learn tonight that Hamilton moves into a gray zone lockdown Monday, which is what we've been going through here. And then on Monday, Premier Ford's going to announce more measures with the uh, rumor mill swirling that we're going to see a hard three-week lockdown starting December 26th, so you can forget your Boxing Day shopping, and that would go through January 11th. So the same approach that seems to be uh, happening in Quebec, but that would include uh, non-essential jobs, uh, private and public sector jobs, all the uh, stuff that we kind of went through in uh, the spring. I think my question is, like, if it's all so urgent, why are we waiting? Are we going to do this? What are we waiting another week? But, you know, the data that we've seen and, and the numbers we are seeing as far as cases shows that the measures aren't working. So I'm not sure why we just keep repeating the same strategy. And, you know, I'm, I'm done. I, I, I'm so done. I don't want to hear anymore that we're in this together. And I really don't want to hear we're going to get through this because you know what? We aren't in this together and we're not going to get through this anytime soon if lockdowns are the only strategies. And I think it bears, you know, worth repeating that when it comes to schools, there is absolutely no justification to shut down the schools. Not not after what we read in the Toronto Star that said uh, at a 4,500 people tested in the hot zones of Peel, York, and Toronto, just 57 cases were found, and they were cases that were brought in from the outside. So that could be a, maybe a teacher who went out to a big box store, maybe a student not masking up uh, around their friends, but it is not spreading like wildfire and there's no community spread within the schools. And so 
I don't think shutting down schools would be a health decision. It would actually be a political decision. And no one should be playing politics with this issue with kids. And I know a lot of people say, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? It is a big deal because there's been significant and needless damage done to a lot of kids, kids that need breakfast programs, kids who suffer abuse in, um, in their homes, and often their teacher or the school is the only one that can be that network uh, and barrier to getting them help. Uh, they're falling behind. They need those socialization. They need structure. I mean, when I picked up my, my little guy from school today, he was literally in tears because he was so scared that he's not going back to school. That's how much he loves being at school. And so he was really upset. And I kept saying, don't worry, you're going back, you're going back. But I think it's safe to say now, at least one week after the break, they will be home climbing up the walls. And what we also know is that, you know, 28 days later, COVID's not being spread by the small businesses and restaurants that have been shuttered over and over again, they get shuttered. I mean, why are they paying the price for who may be the real culprits. Because I was reading in the National Post today, they found that more than 400 cases have come out of the Amazon warehouses in Peel near the airport where there are very few government restrictions in place. Like, how is that okay? If we had a nightclub or a small businesses responsible for such a, you know, a, 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 an outbreak number, anything around 20, there would be outrage There'd be shaming and those in charge would bring down the hammer. But, you know, it's a big business. It's like, oh, it's just the cost of doing business, you know. And look, I'm not advocating for any business to be shut down. I don't want businesses shut down. We need them to survive this crisis long term. But if you're going to let the big box stores and you tell us that that's the only way to do it, well, then they got to be watched and the rules have to be followed. They also have to take the exact same precautions that small businesses were forced to implement, much to their own cost. And you got to wonder, are they? Because surely, if outbreaks are happening to degree at this kind of large facility, then for sure it's happening elsewhere. I mean, we know it's been happening at meat processing plants. But is anyone tracking case numbers at, let's say, a Costco or a Best Buy or any of these other large warehouses that are considered essential? Because with the kind of caseload Amazon's seeing, you know, it's safe to assume that many of those cases were then likely taken into the community, spread throughout households, maybe into places of worship, into the schools. I mean, how are we ever going to get ahead of this thing if we are ignoring the environments that are actually causing the cases and driving up community spread? And no, I am not pointing the finger at the workers. I'm not pointing the finger at people living in Peel. This, to me, comes down to inaction from those in charge who are supposed to manage these work facilities and make sure the precautions are in place. And I certainly point a finger of blame at the federal government, where if you're going to have these essential business open, you get the rapid testing in place. And again, I keep talking about it, but it remains absolutely non-existent. So does the tracing. You know, so does anywhere for the workers to stay should they test positive. And a lot of the people coming in and out of Peel region are the very people we need to be in and out because they're the ones, you know, fueling our supply chain. Well, you got to protect them. You got to protect their families. You got to protect the communities. And if you don't have the tools like aggressive tracing and the rapid testing, then you're not doing your job. And if these employers are considered essential and get the luxury of being open, then they've got to have safety nets in place. Otherwise, this is like futile. 
And we're never just going to get, we're never going to get rid of this thing if we ignore the actual vectors of spread. And if I'm a small business right now and I'm reading those kinds of numbers in a big business, I am pissed. And we can't keep using shutdowns as a strategy. We just can't. And I get that it pulls high, albeit I do not understand that at all. I'd love to know who they're asking. It has to be people with guaranteed paychecks or don't own businesses. Because I know of nobody in the private sector who thinks these are the right strategies. But I did talk to a doctor today. And um, he's speaking out and says that a lot of people in his profession are too scared to speak out because to speak out means that they're going against what is out there now, the popular opinion. But he, he does not agree with these lockdowns. And he pointed out today when I spoke to him of this whole different kind of carnage being ignored. The, the mental health toll uh, of the pandemic can't be overstated. Uh, you know, I'm seeing it, that I'm seeing on a daily basis. Uh, you know, the people who kind of, you know, I can't tell you how many uh, patients come in uh, to see our crisis uh, workers on call because of, you know, various pandemic related difficulties, whether it be financial stress, breakdown of families, uh, worsening depression, isolation, loneliness. It's, it's, it's terrible. That is Dr. Gil Nimney, and um, we'll air that interview at 8 o'clock. And he's not looking for fame, not looking for attention, but he's new to Twitter. And he decided after his shift last night to tweet something out. And then he went to bed. And during the time he slept, the thing went completely viral. And he quoted, he, he tweeted, quote, I can't help but shake my head tonight. I just finished my shift at the COVID-19 assessment center at my hospital. I decided to walk through my ER on the way to the change room. Empty. I shake my head at my colleagues who go on Twitter and TV ranting about how our ER is crazy. So he had no idea that this thing would get as much attention as it did. But he is speaking, I think, while maybe not what uh, the officials in charge want to hear, but he's speaking to what a lot of, I think, people are, are ignoring. And that is, first of all, um, the ERs right now can handle people coming in. We're scaring people away from going into ERs. And, you know, the lockdown measures are doing this irreparable harm that goes far, far, far beyond this virus. The virus will go, but we are going to have such mass amounts of mental illness, heart disease, all these things, and, and the economic destruction, that stuff will not go away anytime soon. All right, good to have you here with us on what is uh, always a busy day of news on this Friday. And I, I think this is a really revealing tweet and it certainly struck a, a, a nerve. And it shows a little bit of a divide in the medical community about the reality of what we're seeing when it comes to the situation currently in our hospitals, ERs. And, and let's be honest, ERs and Canadian hospitals are always busy. When have you ever not gone to a busy emergency? So what has changed? What's the real story? And an emergency doctor tweeted this out after a shift, quote, I can't help but shake my head tonight. I just finished my shift at the COVID-19 assessment center at my hospital. I decided to walk through my ER on the way to the change room empty. I shake my head at my colleagues who go on Twitter and TV ranting about how our ER is crazy. His name is Dr. Gil Nami. He's an emergency physician assistant clinical professor as well at the University of Toronto. Doctor, I'm glad you can join us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I um I assume you weren't quite expecting the reaction you got to this tweet because it's uh it has literally gone viral um, with tens of thousands of people liking what you saw. 
or read or said? Yeah, you know what? I tweeted that late last night, uh, just before I hit the sack, and I woke up this morning to my phone exploding. <laughs> uh, and to be honest with you, I, I don't even know how to use Twitter that well. I just created an account about a week ago, so half the time I don't even know if I'm sending out the messages in in the right way. But I uh, uh, definitely didn't expect that kind of response. I was just kind of venting my frustration at. Uh, some of the things that have been going on, but uh, yeah, there you have it. Welcome to Twitter. Uh, <laughs> but it clearly struck a chord and it's not that you're saying emergencies aren't busy and that COVID's not a serious situation, but what is it that you're suggesting? Well, what I'm saying is that, you know, as, as just as you said, I mean, look, I, I've been doing this, I've been an ER physician for 16, 17 years full time. You know, I, I've seen a lot of things, um, you know, sure, COVID is serious. I'm not saying it's not, it's there. I'm not a COVID denier by any means. Uh, I've seen the sick COVID patients. I've seen the not sick at all COVID patients. Um, I, I just think that there needs to be a more balanced approach to how we're uh, dealing with this. And I, I'm just not sure that lockdowns are, you know, the way to go, especially uh, given, you know, the overall effect of the lockdowns having on other facets of our, our society, you know, the, all the businesses, all the mental health issues, uh, the suicides, um, all the delayed cancer diagnosis, all the, you know, delayed elective surgeries. You know, I, I think that we're losing sight of the fact that, you know, the whole reason for the lockdown was um, to protect our hospital capacity system. And I think instead of focusing on how much more we can lock people down, I think we need to focus on how can we create more capacity to accommodate the current situation. Um, now, I'm not privy to high level government dealings or plans and I certainly hope those discussions are happening behind the scenes, but um, I, I think that's what I'd like to see more of is, you know, plans to create more capacity. Um, you know, I've seen the way certain other countries have dealt with their capacity situations. Um, you know, some may be applicable here, some may not be, but I think, I think we need to start really having those those detailed discussions. Yeah, it's the discussion that's the problem. You're one of now a few doctors who have come out against these lockdowns because I know it's a bit risky to speak out against the very popular narrative of just shut things down. And so uh, there are voices starting to come forward and question, are we actually, you know, is the cure more costly than the disease? And we are seeing suicide rates going up. You know, cancer diagnoses are down and that's not good news. It means that people are walking around with cancer that aren't getting diagnosed. We know children at Sick Kids Hospital are not getting surgeries that uh, have to be done in a certain time because they don't have staffing and they're overburdened. So there's going to be this huge, what we call collateral damage down the pipe and no one seems to care. We're picking these winners and losers, not to mention crushing entire communities of businesses that are actual human beings. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think the people making the decisions have no ill intentions. I think we're all trying to do what we think is best, but, you know, I think there has to be, you know, equal, I think there has to be some discourse and I think there has to be some, some balanced approach to this. 
Um, I'm just not sure that, you know, locking people, you know, there, I, I hear every day uh, people getting on the news on TV, we need more restrictions, we need more lockdowns, but I'm not really sure how much more we can do uh, aside from now shutting down schools, which again, I'm, I'm vehemently against, uh, especially given, you know, the re recent, uh, I, even just as early, that's just as recent as this morning, Mm -hmm. uh, report came out that said they tested over 4,500 kids in uh, the TDSB and only 57 uh, cases have been found, which goes to show that the COVID is not rampant in the schools and kids are not bringing it home. Um, so, you know, aside from that, I'm not, I'm just not sure how much more you can lock people down, uh, I, you know, aside from, you know, starting to impose curfews and, you know, sending police vehicles and military uh, vehicles canvassing neighborhoods that keep people inside their homes. Which is um, what we saw in Australia. But, you know, the Ontario Hospital Association put out a statement and it basically, it seems to speak for all doctors uh, saying we want a four week lockdown. And I don't think it does speak for all uh, of those in medicine. Uh, what I don't ever hear, I hear lots of talk about it, but I don't hear any demands for this wide ranging rapid testing or aggressive tracing, which are absolutely key to stopping the spread. Uh, yeah, a couple of million have been ordered by the federal government, but you would think by now, 10 months into this thing, we'd have rapid testing in every long-term care home, every school, everywhere mm -hmm. as an extra barrier. Why don't we hear more outrage about those things, the tools we can put in place instead of lockdowns? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I, I, I wish I had an answer for you. Um, again, it, it's, it's just, my, my thing is, I, I think we should adhere to public health advice, you know, keep the distancing, keep the masks on, uh, avoid the unnecessary gatherings, you know, no Christmas parties, no big weddings, no birthday parties, try to limit all the unnecessary contact. But at the same time, I think we need to keep some uh, semblance of the economy moving uh, because this is just, you know, devastating for everyone. You know, the one talking point that seems to be uh, the thing right now, which I think is really misleading is, you know, don't worry about this Christmas, there will be a next. Um, you can't guarantee people that they'll have a next with their mom or their dad or a loved one, a grandparent. And so there'll be a whole lot of people in isolation. You can die of loneliness. You can, um, you know, lose a loved one before now and next Christmas. And I just think we've, we've allowed talking points to, um, do, you know, almost lull us into a false sense that, you know, if we just skip the Christmas, everything will be fine. It won't. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, I really don't have anything to add to that. I mean, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think the, the mental health toll uh, of the pandemic can't be overstated. Uh, you know, I'm seeing it, that I'm seeing on a daily basis. Uh, you know, the people who, kind of, you know, I can't tell you how many uh, patients come in uh, to see our crisis uh, workers on call because of, you know, various pandemic related difficulties, whether it be financial stress, breakdown of families, uh, worsening depression, isolation, loneliness. It's, it's, it's terrible. Are you speaking, do you think, for a silent majority in your, in your profession? Are there more who feel like you that just don't speak out? Oh, definitely. I, there's definitely uh, like-minded colleagues who, you know, we speak privately, uh, we speak on chat groups, 
you know, individual chats. Um, but I guess there's just the inherent fear of, you know, speaking out and, you know, cause as soon as, you know, I'm not, I'm not even, I like, that's what I'm the, my, my point that I'm trying to get across is, you know, I'm not a COVID denier. That's the one thing I want to like, I, there is a problem and it's there, but again, I think there needs to be a more balanced approach. And as soon as people kind of go against the grain, you get tarred and feather as some sort mm -hmm. of Trump supporter or some sort of, you know, extremist. Uh, that's not me. I'm just, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm someone who, you know, places high value on logic and common sense. And I just feel like a lot of the approach that we've taken has not been a common sense approach. Just before I let you go, what would you do if you were managing this thing and had a political voice at the table? Well, you know, the, the, the crux of the issue is that, um, and, and I'll preface this by saying way back at the beginning of the pandemic, when this all came to light, that there's this nasty virus uh, making its way uh, in, within our borders, I was all for a complete lockdown because at, at that time, we didn't really know what we were dealing with. Uh, you know, you see images on TV of, you know, people dying in critical shape. Um, you know, you don't know what to expect. So was a full lockdown warranted at time? Sure, absolutely. But I think now after 10 months, I think we kind of know who the vulnerable uh, people in our society are. And I think we need to focus our efforts in, in protecting those vulnerable uh, people, you know, like the, the patients in the nursing homes, the retirement homes, people with, you know, severe comorbidities. I just don't think you can apply a, a blanket solution yeah. right across all of society. And so, and the reality is, is that, you know, people have to get the, people have to be aware that COVID is not a death sentence. And I think that's a message that needs to be relayed. I mean, the vast majority of people who contract COVID recover and do fine. Are there people with long-term health effects from COVID? Absolutely, I'm not denying that. And those, that, those are the unfortunate ones, but truly the vast majority of COVID patients do well, they, get, they, they recover and they move on. Doctor, I appreciate you speaking out. Uh, I think a lot of people will silently nod their head and there'll be a whole lot that uh, give you a standing ovation very loudly. So I thank you very much for being so open and joining us. Thank you. That is Dr. Gil Nimai joining us here. There you go. A, a, a side that you don't often hear, but we sure do appreciate it. All right, here we go. And this was a, today was an important day because there's a constitutional case uh, challenge before the courts today, and it involves the Toronto International Celebration Church, which is challenging Ontario's lockdown measures that they they feel and argue infringe on religious freedoms. And of course, it is at a time when it's highly religious on the Christian calendar. And places of worship have been capped at 10 people, but this particular church can seat 1,000 people. And so they argue, you know, we can safely bring in more people given the space and we've got precautions in place. And while the church is leading this particular challenge, the decision, whenever it comes out, is going to have wide-reaching implications, certainly for all places of worship. Christine Van Gein is litigator, litigation director at the Canadian Constitutional Foundation, and you were um, 
in the courtroom today dealing or on Zoom probably dealing with this issue today and and what was what came out of it? We're not going to get a decision, I, I suspect, today. So there's two things. There's the main application, which is a challenge to the regulation capping church services at 10 people. That's proceeding in the new year, uh, probably in February. But what we'd asked for in the interim um, between now and when that is heard eventually is for the church to be allowed to proceed with their Christmas services. Um, the test for an injunction is very high. And unfortunately, today we were not granted the injunction. So the Christmas for the church is canceled. Um, and we are proceeding with the fight, though, to challenge this regulation on the merits. Because really, when you got into these cross-examinations on the government witnesses, and, and when you when you heard the submissions that were made by the church's counsel and by um, by our counsel today, it's just clear that these restrictions are completely arbitrary. Yeah, and Christmas um, midnight mass certainly is a big deal for for a lot of people. It's very very important um, if you practice your faith. Now there will be people who say, "Give me a break. I'm sure you can miss it this year." Um, but if you're a person of faith. Um, you know, you're infringing on on the values of somebody, and I'm not sure it's really fair to kind of cast it off like like they do with Christmas. Don't worry about it. There'll always be next year. I mean, the thing is, is whether it's fair or not for us to judge, it's it's certainly not the place for government to decide how you exercise your faith. So, you know, for me, um, I, I'm willing to, to watch services online. That's fine for me. But for some people, uh, that's that's not how they express their faith. And uh, the pastor of this church has talked about the importance of in-person fellowship and the affidavits from uh, some of the, the the people who attend this church had really heartbreaking stories. You know, one of the women who attends, she doesn't, she's older, she doesn't have a computer, and she is not at a point in her life where she's going to learn how to use Zoom to attend a church service. Another um, person who attends this church is is young. It's actually quite a, a young uh, congregation. So this woman is 25, was just baptized, and um, had just overcome a period of depression and mm. now suddenly is having her new church family who she had um who, who had helped bring her through this period of of real mental strife for her is now ripped away from her so there's real harm uh, being felt by the people who cannot attend this church and it's not for the government to come in and say oh you should do it this way you should do it that way the rules need to make sense and when just 20 kilometers away, you could have mm. a gathering of, you know, 300 people at a, a church in Markham. I mean, why would the 10 person limit apply just on the other side of the Rouge River? It doesn't make yeah. sense. Or you can go shopping, um, you know, at the Costco, um, you know, and just say your prayers there that you actually survive the experience. But, you know, I'm, I'm not religious in any which way, but I totally understand why this is wrong. And I suspect after the fact that it will probably go in favor of the church, because if it doesn't, then this goes right to the Supreme Court of Canada, because this is a charter right. And I would think that there are many other um, faiths, including Jewish faith, Muslims, anyone who practices any kind of faith, they're all probably watching this case. 
Well, what I'll say about um, Jewish faith, which came up today, um, is that the 10-person limit for some um, some Jewish groups can uh, have, have a minimum of 10 people. But if, if Which, if you're Orthodox if, Jew, you, that, that means you're leaving, like, m- most of your family out. <laughs> it means you're leaving all the women out. Yes, Because it's much. a minimum of 10, 10 men, from my understanding. I'm not Jewish. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. But it means that women essentially can't practice their faith. So, I I mean, this 10-person limit really doesn't make sense. What the church had asked for was a 30% capacity limit. So, you know, with with a space for over 1,000 people in this church, they could properly distance everyone out. They pre-portioned the communion wine. They had markers Mm -hmm. on the floor. They taped off aisles. They'd closed the antechambers so when people were coming in and out, they couldn't stop and linger. And they'd taken some extraordinary efforts to keep their um, the people who attend this church safe. And unfortunately, they weren't granted in the injunction. But I do think they have a really, really strong case um, on the merits of the case, which will be heard in the new year. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of questions about rights and, um, you know, that I think many Canadians should be questioning. We we have been, I think, a little bit too quick to roll over and just say, yes, I'll do whatever you ask. I mean, you know, it, once you do that, there's a slippery slope of, of losing rights that, that we don't want to, to lose and may not be seeing that right now. I mean, we're being told now, don't leave your house. You can't go anywhere else for, for Christmas. And I have to even think that there's something constitutionally challengeable about that. I mean, you've got Dr. Davila out today encouraging people now to tattle on people they see going out, which last I checked, we're not China. But I have to even think that telling people that they can't go spend Christmas with their loved ones is a breach of our rights. Well, certainly, the the it's a restriction on your right to travel, which is protected. Mobility rights are protected under Section Six of the Charter. It's a, a infringement on your right to freedom of assembly or freedom of association. Um, those are are different rights, but um, certainly freedom of association or, or assembly. The the gathering limits violate freedom of of, of assembly mm-hmm. for sure. So the question becomes: Are those justified limits? And when the government doesn't provide us with a lot of information. For example, they don't provide a lot of information about where um, where transmissions taking place. Mm-hmm. How how are they justifying these limits to some of our most fundamental rights at a really important time of the year? I mean, it's just not there. Right. I mean, look, and they're very selective with with what they go after. I mean, we had marches and protests all summer long, whether it was Black Lives Matter, we had all sorts of different political issues, and they didn't say anything about it. But then, you know, they'll tell a church, you can't do this. And so they're selective with what is okay. And and again, this is part of the whole reason why people are so confused. It's like, so wait, I can't go see my grandma for Christmas, but I can go march down the street with a thousand people to protest the cause I believe in. Well, you know, you know, I, I wholeheartedly support the right of people to march in the street for Black Lives Matter. Um, yep. I think that the problem is, is you need you have the right to do both. Right. <laughs> the government can't pick and choose what they're going to enforce and what they're going to allow. Um, it, otherwise, you're you're in the realm of like we don't have rule of law in this country. Yeah. Um, you're just sort of selecting who the law applies to based on political preference, and that's not right. But, yeah. you know, we're happy to participate in a challenge to make sure 
our rights are really protected. And I will add that, you know, we take COVID seriously. My organization takes COVID seriously. We're working with this church because they also take COVID seriously. And despite their best efforts, they've been hurt by the government's arbitrary actions. And I would think, you know, we should be very mindful over the next uh, coming weeks because we know that there are more lockdown measures coming in um, on Monday. And I don't know what those are going to look like. Will we have curfews and those kinds of things? And then we're getting into a territory which Australia just went through and everyone says we should do what Australia did without, I think, understanding that Australians gave up all their civil liberties. There were police officers entering people's homes. There were people getting dragged out of their cars for not wearing a mask. I mean, there were some, I mean, it didn't look like Australia. And I really don't think people want that here. No, and I think people need to remember that it's it's in times of emergency that these intrusions into our rights um, take place. And those intrusions don't disappear once the emergency ends. I mean, we still yeah. take off our shoes to go through a metal detector at the airport. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the intrusions into civil liberties that took place after 9-11 are still in place today. So we yeah. really need to safeguard these rights. Um, and that's what my organization, the Canadian Constitution Foundation, um, is happy to do. And we do it in court. Well, then I will be talking with you next week. We'll see what comes out Monday and uh, what people should know and watch for. And uh, we'll keep an eye on this case. Christine, I very much appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. And have a great weekend too. Christine Van Gein is with the uh, Canadian Constitution Foundation. So we do have people watching these things and that is a good thing. So last night I had hoped to tell you the story of Carrot, who I've totally fallen in love with. This is an orphan little white-tailed buck that was making headlines all over the world because he had an arrow stuck through his head. And um, and he seemed very happy despite this obvious threat to his life. And then just before the interview, the couple uh, who had been caring and feeding Carrot and looking for help for the animal had to cancel suddenly because the deer had taken a sudden turn. And so I was very, very saddened by this. And so I called the couple this morning and was cautiously delighted to hear that Carrot is still alive, but has been through quite an adventure and ordeal in the last 24 hours. Alex Call joins me now on the line. He is uh, one of two people. Leanne Carter is also taking care of this little guy. Good to have you on, Alex. Hey, Alex. Good to be here. Okay, so well, how... It, how? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, Go ahead. I have to clarify that we don't, we don't really take care of him. You know, Carrot is our friend. <laughs> and uh, he lives here in the town of Kenora. And visits, you know, in people's yards. Uh, he was born here in the town in some tall weeds. And uh, he's just our good friend. And he knows us. And we've known him ever since he was a little fawn. So Yeah, he's not a pet, but he, he is a good... He's not a pet deer or anything. You know, yeah, he's, no. a, he's, a free, he's a free animal. Okay, so he, he is a big part of the community, certainly a big part of your lives. Um, and he shows up with this arrow in his head. And then, the, the you know, Leanne put out the call to hope that they could get someone to give it medical treatment because you guys don't have a big animal veterinarian in that area, in Kenora. And, and the idea was to take the arrow out of his head. But you can't just do that because the animal can itself be killed. And so last night, what happened? Well, last night the uh, the MNR um, sent a team out, and they um, they found and darted him. Uh, it was a bit hairy, but they managed to get the bolt out. And uh, late in the evening, he was he'd come out of his sedation, and he was sleeping. and And this morning, um, Leanne got up at. 
quarter to five and went out and found him. And he was still with us, which is great. But I have even better news mm. because because later this afternoon, nobody's seen him all day. And, you know, because uh, deer can go into shock and die after sedation, we were really worried. But Leanne went out and found him this afternoon, just a little while ago, um, at a little wooded location just mm-hmm. down the street. And he's he's still with us. That's a and beautiful a, thing. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing because I chatted with you guys briefly this morning, and it's a touch-and-go situation because once you take that bolt out, often the yeah. animal can can die. And certainly with deer, all sorts of things can happen. So there's a critical period of time. But this little guy is very special. I mean, this story with this with this deer, with this arrow in his head has made it all, like you're getting calls from all over the world because people want to find out about this little guy, but he's special. He's not just any old deer. Yeah, he's, he's always had this special personality, even when he was little. You know, I mean, little bucks are really bold okay they're more bold than the does generally you know they'll come up to you a little closer but he would just come up he was just like a dog you can come <laughs> up and pet him and scratch him under his nose and he liked getting a little treat now and then and uh as he got older uh more than once i'd be standing in the driveway getting in my car and all of a sudden there's carrot's nose in my pocket you know looking for something <laughs> yeah it's like a deer mugging you know but he's such a beautiful guy He's just got this wonderful personality, and he knows his name. Other people call him other things. We're we're the ones who call him Carrot. Um, but we could call him, you know, from a distance. He come running, wagging his tail, prancing up. He's so happy. Um, he's just the happiest deer. And even with the bolt in his head, he was still happy, still coming up to us, licking our hands. And um, so it's been. I mean, it's been uh, horrible roller coaster kind of emotions you know hoping he's okay and not knowing where he was and uh so you know of course he's still not out of the woods yet but but it's it's i feel relieved right now to know that he's still alive tonight yeah and obviously you guys care very deeply about his well-being i know leanne sat with him in the cold for hours making sure he was uh, comforted and you guys keep an eye on him and i'm sure many in the town you know have this kind of vested emotional interest and so what do you guys what's the danger zone how will you know when he's okay um you know as long as we keep seeing him i mean there's you know he's just a free animal you know he he comes and goes he pleases and we can't uh, really control any of that so we just hope to keep seeing him um, you know, it's a dangerous world for animals. They really have a hard time. And uh, so, you know, just to know that he's alive is really good. And I have to say that Leanne is like, you know, she's an animal whisperer kind of, you know, a lot of animals come to her when they're in trouble. And um, so Kara's no exception. You know, he found her and she's really been uh, uh, just this source of, of wisdom and light through this whole thing. And I think Part of that, what's drawn people around the world to Carrot's story is, well, obviously his suffering and yet his perseverance, but also, you know, Leanne's um, compassion for animals, I think, comes through the story as well. And she's got a pretty special job. I mean, she she captures uh, wildlife through the lens. And so she she captures these magnificent moments as a wildlife a photographer. Her work is absolutely sensational. But, you know, the reason I, I just I was so drawn to the story is not only because I love animals, but, you know, it's been such a crappy year, as you know. Um, and so when really, you get a story uh, like 
yeah, you probably might not be feeling it the way you are because you seem to live the dream uh, life in uh, Kenora out in the wild with creatures coming out of the actually, woods and all the rest of it. But Alex, it's just a I'm yeah. American, okay, I really yeah. feel it. It's been crappy, okay. Yeah, it has. Uh, but but this is the kind of story where people look at it and go, "Oh my God, some good for once!" Like it's just you know, you look at this animal and you think, you know what? There are, there are some good things out there. Yeah. Well, I think. You know, I think people probably relate to his suffering, too. You know, it's like uh, you know, he didn't deserve to have a crossbow bolt through his head. And just as, you you know, maybe we don't deserve things that are happening to us right now, to a lot of people. And, and uh, so maybe that's why people relate to it. It's very Christmassy to me. Yeah, a little so, bit. I mean, I'm hoping Santa doesn't take him away to uh, put him to work. But what happens next to him? I understand that they cl- they they um, gave him earrings on his ears, so he's now going to be um, uh, ticketed almost like a, so that hunters know you don't touch him. Um, but has everyone in the town kind of rallied around this this little guy? Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's really brought the communities together that are normally disparate. You know, the kind of the hunting community versus maybe the you know, the non-hunting community, that's often contentious, you know, mm-hmm. but but everybody's with Carrot. Everybody loves Carrot. I mean, the outpouring from around the world is just astonishing. People from countries all over the world are writing us. I mean, it's amazing, really. I know the, uh, the Guardian posted a story on this, and they said it was the biggest story they've ever had. <laughs> I know when, when when they're talking about it in Thailand, you know it's a it's a big story, and yeah. yet it's well, it's about deer in Iraq. You know it's a big story. Yeah, well there you go. Everyone's just looking for a little bit of goodness, and uh, and so maybe there's a story in there, a, a moment of hope. Uh, for me, I'm just hoping that I know you guys are, are very attached to the animals that come and visit you, and certainly this uh, little guy. And so, what will you be watching for then over the next few hours? Well, we hope he comes and uh, we've got some straw in our yard that, you know, it's a nice insulation during the cold nights and it's going to be down to, uh, you know, like minus 15 or 16 tonight. So we're hoping he we look out there and see him curled up, you know, uh, that would be really great. Um, and there's a couple, there's a couple of other deer though, you call peanut and potato that also come by and visit. Do they, do they know uh, their friend has been hurt? Uh, well, I'm sure that, well, his, his special friend is crazy horn. Okay. He's got uh, lopsided antlers, so I call him Crazy Horn. And yeah, they I think, you know, some of them know. Uh, Peanut is a regular guest. He's an incredible buck. He's just a great guy. He's huge and really friendly. Um, we love all the deer. You know, we we know a lot of them, the females, you know, the does as well. You know, there's Blind Mama and Broken Mama with a broken foot and, you know, all their little funny fawns. Um, we love them all. Well, I, I love them all too. And I want to come live with you, but barring that, I just, uh, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. I'll check in with you guys and just hope uh, for great updates with Carrot because it is such a captivating story. And uh, I thank you for your compassion and for caring and for the town, putting their arms around this little guy. Well, thanks for shining your light on him too, Alex. It's, it means a lot, you know, and it is good for people, you know, yeah. it's good to remember, you know, it's, we have, we have things in common with, uh, you know, the other beings of this world, not just each other. You know, Indeed. Help us yeah. Remember that and, and help us to remember our bonds with each other as well. Couldn't have said it better myself. Alex, thank you very much. And uh, to you, Leanne, as well. Hats off. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Merry Christmas. Go. You as well. Go, Carrot. Go. I love Carrot. I'm so obsessed with this uh, little story. So I really, really hope Carrot uh, is okay because we need some brightness, just a little bit of brightness in this year. 
You, of course, can join us Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp here, Monday through Friday. On Point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.